Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Good afternoon, folks. Morning, whatever it is, wherever you are, we're just glad you're with us. Whether you stumbled on our podcast or connected intentionally, we think you may be just where the next right step of your recovery is about to happen. Faith in your recovery may be exactly the thing you need. Are you tired of the fight, fed up with the struggle, done lying to yourself about, well, the next time, hold on. We don't believe you've come this far to only come this far. Faith in your recovery has become a true source of help and hope to those battling substance use disorder slash addiction. Through strugglers who were once forgotten, cast out, discarded, and are now proving to each other and everyone else that recovery is possible, we take off our hats. We salute you and say thanks for staying in the battle, where negativity, desperation, hopelessness once lived, there's now a path to a healthy and successful future. On this episode, you're going to hear from a struggler that rose from the ashes, the lies, the guilt, that sense of worthlessness, to a point in recovery where they're now touching, changing, and saving lives. Folks, thanks for tuning in. Hold on, listen closely, we've got good stuff for you. Now, I want to welcome today's recovery rock star, Heather Anderson. Welcome, Heather. Thank you, Randy. Hi. Great to have you. We look forward to what we, we're going to learn from you, what you're going to share, hearing your story and those difficulties, but ending up with that that victory that you have. Now, introduce yourself to the folks. Just how, explain Heather at this moment in your life to these folks who may not know you. Um, well, today I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother. Um, I am the operations manager at Turning Point Madison County. Um, Tell I'm, the folks what Turning Point Madison County is about. So here at Turning Point Madison County, we are a team of recovery coaches, um, kind of a resource hub for people suffering with addictions and mental illness. Um, you know, for me, it's just um, being that person in the community can, that can give other people hope. Wow. What a role that fills and what a need exists. Uh, I wish we were at a point where we didn't need folks doing that, but you and I both know that's not the case yet. We'd love to see it someday. Don't know if we'll get there, but we're going to keep trying, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Tell them a little more about you, some of your interests, hobbies, what you like to do with extra time. Um, well, I love spending time with my two grandchildren. Um, I have a two-year-old grandson and a three-month-old granddaughter. Wow. Wow, that's a, <laughs> that has to be an experience. I remember back when they were that age, okay? Yes. Yeah, that's a good thing. So you say that uh, you work and live here in Madison County, yes? I do, yes. Okay. 
has this been home forever? Um, for most of my life, yes. At a, at a young age, um, I lived in Oklahoma City. Uh-huh. Um, from, a, I don't know, from an, an infant to about seven, I think. Do you have many memories of Oklahoma City? Not a lot, no. Have you had a chance to go back there? I have not. <laughs> Do you have that desire? Um, maybe someday. I never really thought about it, honestly. <laughs> it's not necessarily on the bucket list, but a possibility. It's not, yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. So that was your life up to the age of seven. Move us forward. So, uh it sounds like maybe you left Oklahoma City at the age of seven. Then did you come here to Madison County at that time? Yes, we moved back to Madison County. Um, you know, my parents were very young when they had me. So um, that was a little bit of a struggle, you know, just learning how to be an adult and, and growing up, um, you know, with not very much money, I guess, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, so um, we moved to Anderson and um, I went to Valley Grove Elementary School and Highland High School. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really do any extracurricular activities um, in school, but I played softball as a child. Okay. All right. So uh, what were you like in high school? How would your friends, classmates, teachers, how would they have described you? What would they have said if I'd have asked them about uh, Heather? Um, probably that I'm a very quiet person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a very shy person until you get to know me. Uh -huh. So being in this setting is kind of, you know, makes me anxious. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just you, me, and Eric, but uh, hopefully there's a lot of people listening in, all yeah. right? But rest <laughs> assured, they're there because they want to be and because they want to hear what you have to give to them. When did your issues start, Heather, your true life challenges? What age were you, give or take? Uh, tell us about that. Um, well, as I said, um, I grew up with young parents. Um, my One of my parents was an addict and one was not. So um, I remember, you know, the struggles of that, um, you know, addiction is a family disease. I remember my grandfather and, um, you know, my dad arguing and, you know, things like that when, sure. when I was younger. Um, I probably did not pick up until I was about 13. It was the first time I ever tried any substances. What was that? What it did, was marijuana. Marijuana. Yes. Had somebody offered that to you? Had you gone somewhere to make that happen? How did it come about? Um, well, yeah, I guess it just, I just it was saw available. it. It was available and I saw it. Um, a neighbor kid also um, was doing it. And so we just kind of got together and was like, hey, let's try this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I got that. I'm yeah. sure that's the way it happens lots of times. Yeah. All right. Do you recall what that experience was like? I didn't like it at all. Um, I just was like, this is boring. <laughs> you know, it didn't really make me feel any different. We had snuck out in the middle of the night. So I was tired and I was just like, well, this isn't what it was cracked up to be. <laughs> And yeah. just 
went home and went to bed. <laughs> All right. Uh, but it didn't keep me from trying it again. Why do you think that was? Because everybody and everything was telling you it should have done more for you than what it did, and you were still hunting for that, perhaps? Right. And I was just trying to fit in. You know, I feel like in those early stages, I just wanted to... Um, wanted to belong somewhere or feel that I was significant, you know. Heather, I wish I had a dime for every time I've heard someone in your seat say that. I did it to fit in. I wanted to be a part of the group. I just wanted to be accepted. Uh, I'd be off somewhere in warm weather with my feet in the sand, okay? But that's, that's the story of a lot of folks. So how long did you keep going with the marijuana? Um, for a lot of years, you know, um, we also like got into the parents' alcohol and drank as well. And, and we did that for, for many years. Um, I started doing prescription pills when I was about, um, 15 or 16. I had, um, tried to commit suicide when I was 15 years old. Um, and so when I went to the doctor, they had put me on um, prescription Xanax, and it just, you know, I was already dabbling in substances, so it just, I didn't take them the way I was supposed to, and it just progressed. It became more abuse than medical. Yes. Yes. Can I go ahead and ask about that suicide attempt? Do you know today what the root of that was? Well, honestly, I was dating a guy that was older than me, and um, he ended up seeing somebody else. And I don't, I think it was an intention sinking thing more than anything. Um, I didn't want to die, but I wanted to be noticed. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that honesty, folks. We, we strive to do our best to be raw and real here on our Faith in Your Recovery podcast. We want to talk about all things recovery, those dark moments, and then those moments of victory. So you just got done sharing with us. It started with marijuana, then it was alcohol, and then the pills. Yes? Yes. Okay. Take us forward from there, how all of those played together and what the next steps were. Well, it stayed that long, uh, that way for a, a long time. Just the prescription pills and alcohol. Um, marijuana was here and there. Um, I ended up um, getting pregnant and married at 18. I had my daughter when I was 19. Um, so I did not you know, I quit doing drugs and drinking when I was pregnant, but as soon as I had her, I started right back where I was again. Um, I was in a mentally and emotionally abusive relationship that turned to physical in later years. I was with my first husband for about 10 years. Okay. Okay. So you've You've been in and out of a lot of things, not just the drugs, but the struggles and the challenges to want to face tomorrow, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, that divorce came about at approximately what age? 
Um, we got divorced when, oh, jeez, I don't exactly remember. Okay, that's all right. Because <laughs> we ended up having two children. Okay. So, um, you know, he, like I said, there was a lot of mental, emotional, and then physical abuse in the marriage. Um, and I, you know, I believe that when I got pregnant, I just thought I'm supposed to marry him. This is how it's supposed to be. <laughs> so, um, so that's what I did. But, um, did that abuse, those struggles, did they drive you back toward any kind of uh, ideations or thoughts of suicide at that time that you recall? No. Um, once I had my daughter, you know, I don't think that that ever crossed my mind. You had somebody to live for. You had a purpose. You did belong. You belonged as mom, right? Yes, yes. So it gave you that identity at that time. Yes. That makes sense to me. Okay, take us forward from there. Um, okay, so... Um, so I guess a really hard time for me was when my best friend committed suicide. Um, and that kind of fueled my addiction. Um, she had called me, my, my first husband and I, we were very on again, off again. Um, and she had called me one night and we were on again. So I had put that phone call off and I got a call later that night that she had hung herself and um, I blamed myself for that for a very long time and um, my way to be out of reality or to numb the pain was to get high or drunk and so that's what I did. Um, my first husband and I like I said we were in a, we had a very abusive relationship so um Eventually, we ended up splitting up. Um, I had started going to jail. He had started going to jail. And um, when I was pregnant with my second daughter, um, the abuse had gotten physical, and he ended up going to prison for a little bit of time for domestic violence. What were the causes for those initial incarcerations? Um, for myself, mostly drinking and driving. I had a lot of drinking and driving. So back to the addiction issue again. Yes, absolutely. Um, all of my, you know, every time I went to jail or prison in later years um, was always from my addiction. Yeah, yeah. Our local sheriff in Jay County, Indiana, told me not too long ago that 92 to 94 percent of his inmates are in the jail related to addiction one way or the other. Not necessarily drug charges, but theft to pay for those drugs or whatever the case might be. So that has a lot of fingers and tentacles that reaches out, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah. Back to your friend and that that guilt that you felt, it had to be kind of a, if I'd have just answered the phone I might have made a difference. Is that accurate? Yes, it is. And I felt like that for many, many years. Do you know how you were able to let go of that? 
um, eventually it was just starting my own healing process and getting clean. Um, you know, so I've, I've been clean for about five and a half years now. Congratulations. So, thank you. So I, I've dealt with a lot of those issues just in the last five and a half years, you know, being able to forgive myself and understand that um, it was not my fault. Yeah. For whatever it's worth to you, my mother, when I was 23, took her life. She took my car that morning. I worked with my dad, and she asked to use my car, which she had never done before. And she asked to use my car. She drove it to a train track and stepped out in front of the train that she had been scheduling for a number of days. And I remember the guilt that I carried with that, the anger, everything that went with it. It was almost eight years to the day. And then I came to a realization that I was mad at her more than I was blaming me, and I'd never allowed myself to, to verbalize that, okay? It just didn't seem right. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you've been there, you get an idea on some of that, okay? All right, so you lost your friend. That sent you back into the... Back into that darkness, uh, the using of the drugs, the alcohol. You went to jail a couple of times over the alcohol. Your husband ended up going to prison, correct me if I'm wrong, over the abuse. Yes? Yes. Okay. And you mentioned, too, that you ended up having some prison time. Tell us a little about that, please. Um. Yeah. So I ended up going to prison the first time in 2008. Um, I, my, my disease just progressed through the years, um, lots of toxic relationships, and um, I was put into the drug court program in 2007. And... Um, I was pregnant at the time, so I was not using. That's one thing that I can always say that I'm proud of myself for. <laughs> Every time I got pregnant, I didn't use during my pregnancy. Yes. I just don't know why it couldn't continue after that. Got that. <laughs> well, you had such a strong purpose then and reason, but go ahead, please. Yes. Um, so after my son was born, um, I pretty much picked up right where I left off, even though I was in drug court and I ended up going to prison for the first time when my son, my youngest is a son and he was four months old. How long were you incarcerated at that time? Um, that time I was incarcerated for a year. Okay. Did you learn anything from that other than what not to do, which you knew before you had you well, went in, but yeah. when I look back on it today, I didn't learn very much that first time. Okay. You know, um, I did not look at my own issues. I did not um, recognize, you know, um, that I I needed some healing of my own, and I ended up going to prison two more times after that time. So that first time, the lessons didn't come because you weren't ready to learn. You were still thinking with that mind that got you in there. Yes. Okay. So you say you went two more times after that. Give us that scenario, please. Um, so 
continued toxic relationships. <laughs> and um, the second time I was in prison just for a very brief time, and that was for, um, I don't remember the specific charges, but it basically was for not complying with probation okay. or what the courts had Often requested. the case. Yes, requested from me. And I was, I was, like I said, I was there maybe six months and I definitely did not learn anything that time at all. Um, and my disease to continue to progress over the years. The last time, um, I went to prison, I was, um, given 21 years. What was that for? What were those charges? Those were dealing charges. Okay. I got a level two dealing charge. How long did you actually spend incarcerated? I did about three and a half years. Um, and that time, um, I just completely changed my mind. I was very, um, at the time of my arrest, I was very broken. I was doing harder drugs. I was doing methamphetamines. I was shooting up. Um, and I think that it was because subconsciously I was wanting to die. I was wanting to kill myself. Back to that earlier suicide attempt, just in a slower, not as direct a way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So my math says you did about five years in prison total. Is that pretty close? Three yeah. and a half a year, six months. Yeah. About that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What was the lights on moment that third time to where you said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm done with this. Um, well, I'd already lost, you know, all my kids um, and my girls. I was not a part of their childhood growing up. Um, Did they go into the, pardon me, the system, foster care or your no, parents? they went to live with their dad. Okay. Okay. Yes. yes. Um, so, you know, I had missed out on a lot with them and, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly the moment, um, when I was sitting in jail and knew that I was facing 30, 40, 50 years for all of the charges that I can't imagine that giving that any thought, okay, let alone facing it. Please go ahead. Yes. Um, I just, I fell to my knees. You know, I fell to my knees and I asked God for help. Um, Had you done that before? Did you have any recognizable chosen connection with God? I know he had a connection with you, but I'm asking you, did you feel a connection with him prior to that? At a very young age, I was very, very active in church, went with my grandma a lot, went to church camp and all those types of fun things you do as a kid. And, um, Hooray for grandmas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, I remember going to church, but I don't think that I ever really grasped who God was yeah. at that young age. I, yeah, I get that. I remember back to the scripture that says, train up a child in the way they should go and they'll return unto it. That may not be a direct absolute quote, but it's close, yes. okay? And you're living proof of that. So you fell to your knees. You said, God, I need your help. Go yeah, ahead. I just, I knew that something had to change and it had to be me. 
you know, so I just, I, I begged, I cried and I asked for help. Um, and then that day I got onto the kiosk and I, um, wrote the chaplain and asked him for a Bible and asked him to talk to him. And, um, the next day there was a chaplain walking through handing out Bibles and I stopped him and, um, I'll never forget it. His eyes were so warm and loving, and I felt like I knew him my whole life. And his name was Pastor Sean. And I asked him if he had a Bible for me, and he said, you're Heather, right? And I said, yes. And he said, "Um, I don't have a Bible for you, but I ordered one for you. And, um, you know, it will be here tomorrow. And I also signed you up for Celebrate Recovery. And so I was super excited about that. The next day, I got a brand new Celebrate Recovery Bible and um, went to Celebrate Recovery that next week. And then I didn't see Pastor Sean anymore. And so I was going to Celebrate Recovery. And so I, I asked the ladies there, I was like, so where is Pastor Sean? You know, I want to thank him for this Bible because it really changed my life, you know. And um They were like, well, Pastor Sean had to move on. His work here was done. And nobody that I've ever talked to remembers Pastor Sean being there. And I just felt like it was God sending his angel to to tell me, you know, I hear your prayers. You know, he told me, choose life or death. He was your angel that moment. Yes. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm getting spirit chills. (laughs) I almost got tears hearing you say that, okay? That moment, nobody else experienced him like you did. I'm going to guess at that moment, nobody else needed him like you did. God's timing is perfect. It Uh, is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when it changed for me. You know, that's when it changed. Like, I am not going to live this way anymore. I'm not going to die. I'm going to change my life. And from that moment on, I spent a year in jail waiting to be sentenced Um, before I went to prison. And, you know, I just um, went to celebrate recovery, went to church, um, stayed in my Bible, and um, just tried to change my mindset. And so I'm going to try to get this right. Correct me if you need to. You were there in jail with your Bible, celebrate recovery, the church services for about a year waiting on your sentencing. You got your sentencing, and that sent you off to prison, correct? Yes. Okay. How did you carry your faith with you? How did you play it out during that time? What were your experiences? Well, again, my mindset was, you know, I have to work for this. I have to put in the action. And so when I got to prison, even though I wasn't able to take my Celebrate Recovery Bible with me, because you can't take things with you to prison, um, I was able to get some addresses before I went and I got a Life Recovery Bible when I was in prison. And I love the Celebrate Recovery Bible, but the Life Recovery Bible is really what changed my life. Um, just, it just spoke to me in a way that 
no Bible ever has, yeah. <laughs> which is kind yeah. of funny because they all say the same thing. <laughs> well, they do, uh, but we've got our different versions with the KJV, the RSV, the NIV, the NLT, the message, and that keeps going and going. And uh, I had a friend one time who belonged to a church that was very much the King James Version or it didn't count. He had the attitude, the most important version in the Bible is the one you'll read. And I agree with that. Uh, You know, I understand there are some nuances and changes. We can always go back to that KJB or whatever, but uh, personally, I'm a New International Version guy, okay? That's where I find my best understanding. I'll often use others to to study with, to get other words on. But there you are. You're working through your faith. How long again were you in prison at that time? About three and a half years? Yes. Yeah. How did that compare to your other experiences? And I know it was considerably longer. Was it an everyday, it seemed to drag out? Or with this relationship, did that change your life enough that it moved a little faster? I'm... It was the easiest time that I ever did, honestly. Um, I just really focused on building my relationship with God and um, trying to change my mindset. When I got there, I um, was accepted into the RWI, which is Recovery While Incarcerated Program, um, pretty much immediately. Um, they had just changed um, some of the ways that they do thing and you do things and you weren't on a waiting list according to your outdate anymore. You were just on the waiting list from when you signed up. Who's next? Yes. Yes. And so I was blessed in that way um, because I would have had to wait a very long time to get on the get into the class if it was the old way. Okay. Um, so I got in there immediately and then I just started um doing everything that they, I I just utilized every program that they had in the prison. Um, So codependency classes, um, spirituality classes, just anything that they could offer me that would, was self-help, I would do. You were Um, sponge and ready to absorb, yes? Yes. I'm going to ask you a question here, and I understand if you don't answer, and if you're not comfortable, please don't. Can I ask you the name of where you were? I was at Rockville. Um, okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, so much of what you were saying made me think of Madison, Indiana, and the facility there because I've heard similar stories. I haven't. I just haven't dealt with a lot of folks who've been at Rockville and told me this very much the same kind of thing. Yeah. All right. I actually went. To, I've been to Madison as well. Okay. <laughs> the second time I went to prison, I was in Madison. Uh-huh. And um, it's a much easier place to be. That's kind of what I've heard. Yeah. Yes. But I think that, you know, as, as God was working on me, it was my mind was more at ease and I was more at peace. So it was okay. You know, yeah. um, I just accepted the situation for what it was at the moment. Okay. When you got out, what were your relationships when you got back home? Were your mom and dad still alive? Yes, Uh, both of my parents are still alive. Were they 
a support to you at that time? Was it more hands-off? Where was the relationship with them? When I got out of prison, um, they yes, they were very supportive. But when I was in jail waiting to go to prison, um, you know, they they practiced that tough love very much. You know, I had just kept um, doing the repeating the cycle over and over again. You know, I I didn't raise my girls. I didn't. Um, I wasn't honest. I wasn't. You know, I wasn't somebody that c they could count on. Yeah, get that. Plus, I would think they're waiting on you to be sentenced. The pain they were experiencing, if it's hands-off, I'm not as close. I'm not going to hurt as much. And I can get that if that was where they were at, okay? Right. Yeah. So your girls, while you were in prison, did you hear anything from them? Were there contacts? What was your relationship um, I was able to speak to them like when they were at my mom's house. Um, you know, when they weren't with me, they still went to my mom's house every week for um, on Wednesdays to just have dinner and be with my mom. My sister kind of really stepped up into that mom role that I was absent of. Was so. she, is she younger or older than you? She's sister? younger. She's younger. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So when you got out... What about the relationship then? Well, the when girls? when I got out, um, my oldest, so my girls are adults. So my oldest um, was, I'm trying to think. Ballpark. <laughs> yeah, it seems so. It seems so. Um, it seems so long ago, but yeah. it really wasn't, you know. Um, but I, I spoke to them while I was in prison, and um, so when I got out, I was put into the reentry program, the problem sol solving courts program in yes. Madison County, um, and so I, I was held accountable for a lot of things, and and my family saw that I. Um, had changed while I was there. And so they were very supportive and accepting. I think, you know, my, my middle, my middle, my youngest daughter, which is my middle child, she was still leery and she still is sometimes today, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So where is the relationship today? Three kids? Yes. Yes. Three. Yeah. So where is the relationship? 24, or 23, 19 and 14. Okay. Where is that relationship now? Um, it's it's really good now. I, I speak to my kid. Well, my son lives with me now, okay. which, you know, I, he 14. didn't before. Yes, my 14-year-old okay. lives with me. Um, my oldest daughter has my two-year-old grandson, and um, we are very close. And I see my grandson multiple times a week, or he stays all night weekly, you know. So we, we have a good bond now, and, and she trusts me today. You That's, know? Big. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's big. That's big. The 14-year-old, I've got to ask you, what are his thoughts, feelings? Does he address the issue of your past, the the addictions, the incarceration? Or is he, are you guys still kind of, you know, we can talk about it, but we don't have to. Um, well, I am not opposed to talking about anything and being honest about anything that has happened in my life. Um, you know, the four. The 14 year old, he was young. And so I was, I may have been there, but I wasn't present. Gotcha. You know, so 
He he will bring things up, definitely, but I'm open to talk about whatever they want to talk about. So you wait kind of for them to ask the question and you jump in with an answer and experience. Yes. Yeah, that's healthy. That's good. So tell us where you are today, what life looks like. Uh, you touched on it a little bit ago, being a peer recovery coach. Tell the folks how you got there. Tell them what a peer recovery coach does and why it's important to you to have the position you have. Um, well, let's see. So I graduated the Problem Solving Courts program, and um, I know that it was important for me to stay connected, to stay, to stay connected to like-minded people, Um that will hold me accountable and to keep myself accountable. So I'm actually the one of the first graduates to be hired by Problem Solving Courts. So I also facilitate um, the women's group for Problem Solving Courts. So I, I take a lot of pride in that. Good, <laughs> yes. And um, I, I have a good relationship with everybody in Problem Solving Courts. So um, I just love that. And... And then I I was... Let me interrupt one moment. I've got to ask you. It's got to be kind of a... The shoes on the other foot in the sense of now you're working with the courts instead of facing the courts. Yes. That's got to... uh, That shows the change. It seems unreal a lot of the times. I can't imagine for you. Okay, (laughs) yeah. Uh, You can walk in feeling okay and walk out feeling okay, not... Is the hammer going to fall? Yes. So, yeah. Yes. All right. Go back to that, please. Um, so before this job, I was uh, assistant manager at a meat market in Fishers. So um, and and I knew that I wanted to work with addicts. Um, that's been a passion of mine um, just to give back and hopefully help somebody not go through the same things that I did by sharing my experience, strength and hope. And um this job just kind of fell in my lap. Um, <laughs> I had heard about Turning Point and was interested, but I didn't know much about it. And then one day I was at a meeting with one of my coworkers now, and I just kind of, I'm a very shy person until you get to know me. So I was like, okay, if I don't start networking and put myself out there, I'm going to stay stuck and stagnant where I'm at. So I just started a conversation with him. I was like, so you work at Turning Point, right? (laughs) Although I knew he did. (laughs) And um, we just got to talking and he called me a couple weeks later and he was like, hey, great news. Why don't you come in and talk to my boss? And I was like, okay. And so I came in and spoke with Jason and um, I just knew that this was the place for me. You know, I felt purposeful um, and, and I love being a recovery coach. I love helping people and, um, you know, giving them resources and kind of guiding them and, and, ways that will help improve their lifestyle and that improves everybody's life when we improve someone else's okay pardon this uh 
illustration, and I know it was not relational with the friend you were talking about, but it sounds like job flirting, not with the individual (laughs) male-female kind of flirting, but I'm going to flirt with your job here. Maybe I can get over there kind of thing. Okay. (laughs) Yes, I like that. I hope that came out okay, folks. It did to me. (laughs) All right. I mean the best by it. It's just that idea, but you obviously had the package they were hunting for, those skills. How long have you been doing this? Um, I have been here since October. Since October. So let's see. That's, uh, there's three, four, five. Yeah. Wow. Hooray. Uh, Is it what you thought it would be? I know there are strange moments but is this what you expected um yes and no i guess um so i got i got offered the operations manager position and i was just flabbergasted what does that mean operations first off let's back up tell them what a peer recovery coach does um so a peer recovery coach um here we just provide connections and resources to people um who are or are suffering or in a state of crisis, um, just walking beside them um, and and helping them along the way. Okay. Now go ahead and tell them what an oper- what was that proper title? Operations manager. That's what I almost <laughs> said. Go ahead and tell them the role of the operations manager. Um, so my role is just to manage the team and, um, yeah, just to make sure that procedures and policies are in order and that we're we're giving the best support and and that we can to the community. So you're kind of a coach of the coaches. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, hooray for you, number one, for the progress, the healing, and now giving back. And that's part of our recovery, isn't it? Absolutely. Finding yes. a way to give back, to stay involved. Heather, the name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. You've openly shared of your relationship with God. What does the title Faith in Your Recovery mean to you? I guess having faith in myself, you know, and it took a long time for me to get there you know, for me to find my self-worth and my self-confidence and just um, to have faith and trust in myself um, like I do the Lord, you know, and it took me building a relationship with him and finding out who I was in his eyes for me to get there. Amen to that. I'm picturing you finding faith in him knowing he can be trusted. You go through this abuse, you went through so many other things, who, what can I trust? You find out there is somebody, and that encourages you then to start trusting in yourself. And here you are. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say to wrap this up, Heather, to folks out there who may be struggling or have a child incarcerated? Or, yeah, is there anything you'd like to say? Um, well, if you're struggling, just reach out, you know, and that's the hardest part to do is to ask for help. It was for me, at least, you know, I thought that I could do everything myself. And, and you know, it's that connection um, with other people that helps me heal. And I've heard that throughout your story here. 
thank you. Uh, we so appreciate your honesty opening up, and I hope it's been as good for you as I'm sure it's going to be for our listeners. Thank you for having me, Randy. Yeah. Folks, a faith in your recovery, we believe the process, the journey, the recovery, it's like a rainbow. You cannot witness a rainbow without sharing it with someone else. Rainbows aren't secrets. We also believe you can't experience recovery without telling others. Recovery should never be a secret. Thanks for tuning in, listening. Go ahead, subscribe, like, and share. That'd be a great way to support us. God bless. Take care. Amen.